0: Good morning again, everyone. It's good to see you all. You're all very good-looking people. Really? No response at all? Not even a thank you? Wow. Same to you, yeah. Now I know you're lying. Okay. Uh, Hey, before we get started, I just want to uh, mention last week uh, we prayed for and sent off the the team to Ecuador. Uh, They are on the ground So we're thankful for that. I want you to be praying for them through this week, please, Uh, holding them up in your prayer. It's uh, not an easy place to be where you don't speak the language and um, working really hard. So uh, please be in prayer uh, for that team that we have down there. Uh, We're going to finish our series in Jonah today. So you could start turning to the book of Jonah in your Bibles. We will have it on the screen as well. Uh, I got thinking this week about Jonah, but, but more generally, just with all the books of prophecy uh, that we have in scripture. Jonah is part of a, a group of books in scripture we call the minor prophets just because of the length of the book is so small. And we rarely go there. Uh, we rarely read them, uh, preach from them. And uh, there is. it, it kind of reminded me of a time many years ago, and I just thought, you know, I wanna go just read through the prophets. And uh, I'm interested, what's there? And I didn't care as much, maybe that sounds bad, I didn't care as much about the actual prophecies toward all the different people groups, the Edomites, the Moabites, the uh and, and all of them. That last one wasn't real, in case you weren't paying attention. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily focus in on that, but I was looking at everything in between, and the, the pictures of God and... Uh, just what was in there, what he says, what he does, and, and how he cares for his people. Uh, the holiness, the, the majestic nature of him, it was fascinating. Um, so I encourage you not to neglect any part of scripture, even if it's uh, difficult to read or, or we just don't go there often. So uh, I thought it was uh, really enjoyable to read through that. Okay, like I did last week, I want to start off with a question for you to consider. Uh, the question this week is, uh, what would you say is the, the big picture story of God? The, the boil it all down, take all the, what we know of uh, from scripture, from life, boil it all down, what is that big picture story? What, what would you say to that? I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Uh, thankfully, many people, smart people over the years have thought of that. And they've all kind of come up with their own uh, little way to put that. Um, I've come up with my own way uh, as well, though I am not one of those smart people. I just figured out my own way to say it. Um, so, so I would say something like this, and I think it'll be on the screen. It, something like, God created mankind to relate to him and worship him forever. And he's building his kingdom among them. And in spite of mankind's sin, God made a way back through his son, Jesus Christ, and he relentlessly pursues his creation. So I know there's a lot not said in that, it doesn't touch on any doctrine or anything like that, but generally when I look at scripture, all the stories, all the teachings, I can generally see it all in that framework. I see every move of God, I can see every teaching, uh, the doctrines, how it all fits together in that frame of reference. And I want us to keep that as our, as our foundation, as the backdrop, as we finish this book of Jonah today. It's going to be very important. Because as Christians, we know that we live in God's world. We have a biblical worldview. We view everything through the lens of our God, of the truth in Scripture, of His majesty, of His lordship, and His plan. His story, in fact, some have made the connection that history really is His story. And if all that is true, then when we get out of God's story, if we step out into some other story, then we can lose uh, perspective on truth. We can lose perspective on what is right and beneficial, and it can cause all kinds of unhealthy uh, issues in our lives. Okay, so that's our backdrop for today. Uh, this short book of Jonah is written as satire, as uh, Pastor Sean talked about in week one. Uh, there's irony, there's exaggeration, there's humor throughout the whole book. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not a true story, but the the way in which it is written is satirical. And uh, I want to just go through some observations here just to show you. Um, not all of these are mine, so... Uh, mine. I'll give credit to uh, other preachers and teachers that I've, I've listened to and read on this. Uh, but, but think about this. The name Jonah means dove. It's a word that we tend to associate with purity. Jonah was the son of Amittai. Amittai means faithfulness. And yet we don't see anything that we would probably call pure or faithful in the way that Jonah lives his life. God tells Jonah to arise or get up and go to Nineveh. But the text actually says he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the inner part of the ship. He laid down. We see him sink down into the sea. God said to him again, get up. And it it says in chapter 3, Jonah finally got up and went to Nineveh. There's this wordplay on moving up toward God, and down, away from God. And there's Jonah's ornate prayer, wonderful reflection in chapter two. And then he gets to Nineveh, and to me at least, he does the bare minimum. He doesn't go into the city that far. He gives this message, yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's only five words in the Hebrew. That's it. He doesn't expound on it. He doesn't tell them what's coming, he doesn't say it's God, he doesn't say it's a, there's a plague, nothing. And then of course we see the entire city of Nineveh do this crazy 180 and totally repent and do their thing like we talked about last week. Remember how big it was, they even made their animals repent. It was, I still think it's funny, I don't know, it's bizarre, you gotta admit it's crazy. So much about their animals, they, they, but they, they just see that's a huge turn, huge turn. And then this word overthrow, when, when Jonah gives the message, us shall be overthrown. This word overthrown here is very interesting. It doesn't say they're going to die. It doesn't say they're going to be destroyed or perish. This word overthrown in the Hebrew can also mean turned over or changed. Or even converted could that have been a prophetic pronouncement by God of what was about to happen it's an interesting choice of word and then we'll see today in chapter 4 even after turning back to God and repenting Jonah goes right back in opposition to God it doesn't stick he's selfish he's talking back he even gives God the silent treatment which I'll show you in a moment And he wants to die. And I'm going to say it like that every time. Because he's so emotional. He just wants to die. It's awful. He wants to die because a plant he used for shade just died. What I can come up with is he's basically a toddler. Or a teenager. Yes, amen. No. Um, There's more teenagers here, though, who might jump me when I leave. So we're going to say... He's like a toddler. It's crazy. So so this is written in the form of satire to, to expound on all that. But really, it's a reflection. It's meant to be a reflection back to Israel about the ways that they had turned. And I want to frame that today as they forgot the big story that they were in. They forgot God's story that they were in. Now, what do we say about a toddler who is selfish, talks back, gives the silent treatment. Actually, I don't think any of my kids gave the silent treatment as toddlers. They were kind of loud as I think about it. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to you. But, but what would we say about something like that? We would say something like, oh, it's all about him, isn't it? Or she thinks the world revolves around her, doesn't she? There's, there's a framework That's similar to what we see in Jonah. It all culminates into utter foolishness in chapter 4 that we'll see today. He acts as if he's in his own story, and it's all about him. He doesn't pursue those far from God. He's not interested in expanding his kingdom. He even misses it when God pursues him. God doesn't just stop uh, pursuing us when we become part of his family. He continues to pursue us. So the title of today's message is, It's Not Your Story. So now we come to the part where I have to recap chapters one through three. And if you remember last week, uh, I did it in rhyme. It was that good, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So I thought, well, it was so good, either I should never do it again, or you need more. More! More! Alright, so uh, we've added to it, we're going to recap chapters 1 through 3 in rhyme. Uh, It's still not good, uh, so I I can't promise you it's going to be any better, uh, but I can promise it will be longer. That's all I can give you. Alright, here we go. We're going to recap chapters 1 through 3. God said go. Jonah said No. no. Jonah sails away. God says, oh, so you want to play? Sailors ask, whose fault is it? And Jonah says, uh, I did it. And the sailors ask, how do we stop this storm? Jonah says, throw me overboard. And the fish says, that's what I'm talking about. And Jonah gets put into a timeout. Jonah finally prays. The fish throws up. I could not fix that part. From, <laughs> I'm really Sorry actually my favorite line. Uh, God says, shall we try this again? And Jonah says, I'm your man. God says, if you go this time, I'll be all smiles. And Jonah says, I would walk 500 miles. <laughs> Jonah yells out loud. Nineveh wasn't too proud. Into dust and ashes they bowed and they really cared about their cows. <laughs> In a major plot twist, God gives mercy. Jonah stunned says, Seriously? That's a cliffhanger, isn't it? It's amazing. I don't know how it's going to end. Okay, let's find out how it ends. All right, we're going to read Jonah, the last chapter. Actually, we're going to start with the last verse of chapter 3 and read through 4. And, and like I said before, basically in my mind, I picture Jonah acting like a toddler. So there are some times I'm going to read this with inflection of how I hear it in my mind of a toddler speaking to God, sort of. A grown, a grown man toddler. I don't know what that picture is. Anyway, uh, all right, here we go. Let's read uh, the rest of the book. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." Isn't that the worst accusation you've ever heard against God? He is terrible at this. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? That's the silent treatment. Don't don't read past that too quickly. Jonah ignores the question. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Even God cares about the cows. I don't understand why God talks about the cows. I don't know. If you know, please tell me. Now after reading this, as you watch Jonah interact with God here, it is obvious that they are not on the same page. In fact, they are so far apart, if we stick with the original analogy, they are not even reading the same story. God wanted Nineveh to repent and be saved. Jonah did not. We saw it in verse five where after Jonah even knows that God has relented from the disaster, he goes and and sets up camp so he can watch just in case. Now, it's it's easy to see how much God loves those who were far from him, how much he loves Nineveh and wants them to come in to his family. That's a little easy. Do, Do you see how much he loved Jonah through all this? How many chances God gave him? How many times God intervened to correct him or to get him to correct his course? Uh, Let me read just several of these items. God caused the storm. God appointed the great fish. God made the fish throw up. God asked a question meant to cause inner reflection and repentance. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a scorching east wind. God asked yet another question for inner reflection and repentance. God really liked making appointments. He was so involved. He loved Jonah so much that he was not willing that Jonah should persist in his disobedience and his hard heart. He didn't want Jonah losing sight of the real story. And when we get outside of that story, we lose perspective, we lose our bearings. We get selfish. We see that in Jonah. He doesn't see things clearly. We see that in Jonah. We don't trust that God knows what he's doing. We see that in Jonah. In the big picture story, God is building his kingdom among us. He wants us to come along with him in that story. When we push against that, we lose perspective. And I want to show you four ways today that Jonah lost his perspective because he was outside of God's story. He had left behind the real story. He was writing his own. He, he wanted it to be about himself. And when we jump out of God's story, it becomes about us. These things that we're going to talk about can be signs that we're out of alignment with God and out of alignment with his story. Now, each of these could probably be an entire message or series on their own, We're just going to scratch the surface, but I want to highlight for us four ways that Jonah had lost his perspective on truth. So the first is this. Jonah no longer feared God. In chapter one, when the sailors say, hey, explain yourself. What's going on here? He he describes who he is, and then he uses this phrase. He says in verse nine of chapter one, I fear the Lord. However, the fact that he was on That ship going in that direction for that reason that they all knew that he was running away proves to me he did not fear the Lord. Now, if you're not familiar with this word or this phrase, fear the Lord, it might be a little foreign to you. It's basically a reverence, and it's a reverence that is so big because the object of that that reverence is so big, so majestic, that it it makes us shake in our boots a little bit. It it is that majestic, that powerful. And I think culturally a a bit, we've lost a lot of the the significance of that and and the relationship to that type of fear of the Lord. We often focus on, on our intimate relationship with God, and that is true and right. And at the same time, we cannot lose the fear of the Lord that Scripture speaks of a lot, not just here. It is a healthy and a holy way to see our God. In the stories of the Bible, in the good teachings that we see, in all the the things that we read, we can miss that majestic, holy, big person of God. And that's exactly what we see in Jonah. He does not take God's command seriously. He actively opposes the plan by going the, the other direction. He gets angry at God for showing mercy. He lost sight of the sovereignty of God. Part of me thinks it's crazy God didn't just kill him or something when he rebelled, when he kept turning away. He was so foolish. Nineveh and the sailors, on the other hand, they feared God. The sailors, it says, they cry out they actually think that Jonah's God may come hunt them down someday and hold them accountable for Jonah's life when they're about to throw him overboard. It says after they got off the ship, they made sacrifices. And even in verse 16 of chapter one, it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They actually feared a God that they had never cried out to until that time. Nineveh cries out, Nineveh turns, Nineveh realizes they are on the wrong side of a battle against the just and holy God and they change completely. And when we begin to lose sight of the real story, of God's story, one of the things that can go is our fear of our God, a healthy fear. The second thing is this. Jonah had the wrong enemy. We talked some about this last week. Jonah had the Assyrians pegged as the enemy. God obviously did not. From the New Testament in Ephesians 6, a very well-known verse, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's, the enemy. In God's story, humanity is not the enemy. They are the creation that God relentlessly pursues, like we talked about at the very beginning. Every single human being to ever walk this earth, who will ever walk this earth, is a soul that Jesus Christ died for to redeem back to himself. They are not the enemy. I recently listened to a speech by a lady named Keisha Russell. She's a lawyer with First Liberty Institute. They're one of the leading law firms in the country that fights for religious freedom, uh, religious liberty. And uh, this the, last set of uh, Supreme Court decisions got a lot of uh, press, mainly because of the, uh, the change to Roe v. Wade, which we're happy about. But First Liberty actually had two other cases being decided at that same time. Uh, the two were, uh, if you may not remember, but uh, one was, there was a, a state law in Maine that uh, Maine actually gave parents uh, funding to send their kids to private schools, unless it was a religious school. And then the second one was one of Coach Kennedy. Coach Kennedy got a good amount of airtime uh, recently. He was a, a high school coach who was uh, let go because he was praying at the 50-yard line, even started by himself. Uh, after games. Um, First Liberty had both of those cases, and if you remember, uh, they actually won both of those cases, which is fantastic. But as I listened to uh, Keisha Russell speak about taking these cases, about arguing these points against people who are just diametrically opposed, she said, we have to remember that these people we're fighting against, that we're arguing against, are not the enemy. They've been blinded to truth by the real enemy. We don't fight against our neighbors, against people in our community, against a a political opponent. This is a spiritual battle. And that was her take on it, even after arguing in front of the Supreme Court. Jonah had lost sight of who the real enemy was because he was making the story all about him. Now, the third way in which we see Jonah lose his perspective because he's outside of the story is he resisted correction. God gave so many chances to Jonah. I already ran ran through that list of ways God was actively intervening to try to get him to recognize there's an issue here, to try to get him to correct course. And he resisted every single one. God asked that first time, do you do well to be angry? Second time, just to show how foolish he was being, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And we often think of correction as something to be avoided, but I wanna challenge us on that. When we resist correction, it is as if we are saying to God, I don't wanna do it your way. I won't do it your way. And that is the voice of pride if that is in us. And this is an area where we need to change our thinking as we talked about last week. We need to see correction as not as something to be avoided, but rather as a sign of God's love. Hebrews 12 talks about discipline. Now my practical definition of, of discipline is pain with a purpose. It's something that's uncomfortable, that that doesn't feel good, that that may be painful or or abrasive, something, but there's always a purpose behind it. And it's meant to correct. It's meant to redirect or, or change our thinking about something. Listen to some of these verses from Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Correction is a sign that you are a son or a daughter of God. It's actually meant to produce, we just read these things, holiness, righteousness, and healing in us. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Zealous and repent means desire it strongly and then change your thinking. When Jonah lost sight of God's story and he was trying to be the center of the story, he resisted the very correction that he needed to find his way back. We have to look at correction as something that is good for us. And the final thing is this. Jonah would not submit to God's will. In losing sight of God's story, some of God's decisions became very difficult to accept. And in particular, in this instance, I'm referring to Jonah not accepting that God would give mercy to Nineveh when he expected judgment. And it was perfectly in line with God's character. God did not step out of character to do that. I was going to share a whole bunch of verses that showed that. Old Testament, New Testament, it's not out of character at all. And yet Jonah still rejected it. He still would not submit to that. It was God's will at that moment. And I say at that moment because just two books over from Jonah, in the book of Nahum, the prophet Nahum receives a prophecy of judgment from God against Nineveh. They had turned their back again, and it was time for judgment. And God pronounced that at that time. But mercy was God's decision for this time with Jonah he would not submit himself to that being the reality in front of him. It was the totally wrong decision to Jonah, because when you're the center of your own story, you make the decisions. And if the the other decision is not what you would have made, then it's wrong. You're taking the place of God, or you're trying to take the place of God in that story. He missed seeing the story through God's eyes. And let's be honest, God does things today that we do not understand. He allows things to happen to us, to those we love, those who are close to us, that just do not make sense. People don't deserve it. There's no explanation sometimes for a major hurt or a sudden unexplained illness that comes on. I've seen these things in my own family. There is no explanation. I can't comprehend it or understand it. I don't get it. How do we respond when that happens? I think it comes down to this. Whose story are you in? Not to minimize any of that. It's all real. But whose story are you in? Are you in God's story? Are you living in his world? Or are you living in your own world and God just gets to be a part of it? There is a huge difference there. Consider Jonah's response to God when he sees what God is doing. He basically says, this is why I wanted nothing to do with your story. He's angry. He won't accept it. I want to contrast that with Mary's response when the angel Gabriel told her she was about to carry the Messiah, that action was going to ruin her reputation. It was going to destroy her life, destroy a future uh, for her. She would probably never be married. How was that the right decision? That doesn't seem fair. How is that God's will? But listen to her response in Luke 1, 38, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's it. That response is from a person who was in the right story God's story, not her own. She wasn't the center. If she were, she may very well have rejected that and said, I'm out. That is too big of a cost. But let's be fair, it absolutely cost Jonah something as well to see God's mercy poured out on his enemies. But even when we don't get it, when it hurts, when there's a cost, when we can't explain it, if we know we're in God's story, we can still submit. Yes, it's difficult, but we can still submit. We don't have to like it. We don't have to understand it. And I know sometimes there are things going on that just don't add up. Maybe for some of you it's today. Something is happening, you just cannot explain it. It doesn't seem right. It seems like God has lost control or he doesn't care anymore or he's made the wrong decision for you. How we respond can tell us if we've lost focus on his story and we're trying to be the center Of our own story. So that's Jonah. I think we all know this, but we don't want to be like Jonah. But it doesn't just happen to be about not going somewhere when God says go. There is so much depth to this. I hope you see the depth that is in this scripture more than just the the cute little story we learned when we were six for most of us. And again, this was meant to be a reflection. This was for Israel to hold up as a mirror to say, how do I reflect in this story? And so anytime that we read scripture, that we get to the depths of the truth that God has for us, I would encourage you to hold it up as a mirror and really let the Holy Spirit Take it deep into your heart. So, we're going to conclude today the same way we did last week. We're just going to take a minute and listen to the Holy Spirit. Let Him speak to you. Maybe there's something in one of these four areas that might be a little off for you when it comes to the fear of the Lord, when it comes to seeing other people as the enemy, when it comes to resisting correction. We're not submitting to a decision that you just don't understand. So if you would, please just bow your heads with me for a moment. And ask the Holy Spirit, is there something in me? Is there something here that I need? God, I thank you for the depth of your scripture. I thank you for loving us so much that you never stop pursuing us. God, I bless these people here with a word from you. You would speak to all of us about the fear of the Lord. about who the real enemy is, Lord, if we are treating other people as the enemy, would you make it clear to us? If we're resisting correction in any way, God, we submit right now, and we surrender that to you. And God, if there's a decision that in my spirit I am not submitting to you, I'm really struggling with what you've done. By your power, we give that up to you as well. Lord, I bless each person here with a touch of your presence this week. I pray for a strong sense of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And may we align our lives with you. We see you as the center of the story. And we're so glad because we're just really good at messing up our own stories. So God, show us where we fit. And thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.